All right. Uh, good evening, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. Before we proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting Father, yes. gracious Yahuwah God, yes. thank you so much for blessing us with life and strength. Yes. And as we study your holy words tonight, we ask for your blessings upon us all. Yes. May you please send the power of your Holy Spirit yes. to guide our thoughts, to guide our hearts as well. Yes. Help us, Father, to know you better, to know yes. you deeper, yes. that we can better express our affection and love for you. Amen. Please, Lord Yahushua, we pray to you as well. Yes. May you remember your servants across the world. Help yes. us to remain faithful and loyal to you yes. every single day of our life. Amen. Father, please forgive completely our sins. Yes. We ask and beseech all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, praises be to our loving Yahuwah Father for again gathering each one of us for this Bible study. It's going to be a little lengthy. Is that Okay. But it will not go past two hours, I promise you. Uh, well, let's go ahead and kind of do a recap. In the previous lesson, we talked about Moses being kind of depressed, discouraged, because the plan went from bad to worse really quickly. However, his confidence was restored by Yahuwah because God reminded him of who he is. He said to him, I am Yahuwah. You can count on me. And God reminded him of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and so Moses and Aaron are again filled with courage and go and so God says to them go back to Pharaoh and fulfill your mission and so what happens next let's go ahead and turn to the book of Exodus 7 1 to 2 but before I read this passage a disclaimer okay in the translations we're going to use we're going to use the normal English translations because it's better understood by many because sometimes people don't understand yom in other Hebrew terms. So we're going to use the regular English translations. But of course, instead of using L-O-R-D, we will use what is actually on the original script, which is the Paleo Hebrew. And so if you look at this passage on the screen, for example, if Moses was alive today and he would look at the screen, he will not understand at all the English script. It will be foreign to him. But he will be delighted to see the Tetragrammaton. He will recognize that script because that's how the name of the Father was written during the time of Moses. He will look at that and say, oh, that is the name of God, Yahuwah, the Father. And so that's what we're going to use in honor or to honor the name of our Father. We preserve the Paleo-Hebrew script. Exodus 7, 1 to 2. Yahuwah said, I'm going to make you like God to the king. And your brother Aaron will speak to him as your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command you. And he will tell the king to let the Israelites leave his country. And so what did God, Yahuwah, our father, say to Aaron and to Moses? He said to Moses, I'm going to make you like God to the king. And your brother will speak to him as your prophet. And so... God is telling Moses, you're going to speak to him as my spokesperson. That's why he said, I'm going to make you like God to the king. And Aaron, your spokesperson, will be like a prophet. Now, how old were Moses and Aaron at this time? Exodus 7, 6 to 7. So Moses and Aaron did just as Yahuwah had commanded them. Moses, how old was he? 
80 years old, and Aaron was 83. That's his kuya. When they made their demands to Pharaoh. So they were not exactly at their prime physically. But God uses people of different ages, sometimes young, like David, sometimes older in their lifespan, like Moses and Aaron. It doesn't really matter because, again, what matters is our almighty God. And so what will God use through Moses, through Aaron, to convince Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go? Exodus 7, 3 down to 5, but I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn. So I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I will bring down my, my fist on Egypt. Then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. When I raise my powerful hand and bring up the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am Yahuwah. And so what will God use to convince Pharaoh and the Egyptians to let the people of God go. He says he will multiply miraculous signs and wonders. He will use his power as a demonstration of his strength that people will be convinced that he is who? Yahuwah. I am Yahuwah, says God Almighty. Now, why will it take miracles and power and strength to convince Pharaoh and the Egyptians to let the people of Israel go. That's because the Egyptians were very proud people, right? Also a little racist. If you're not Egyptian, they think of you as a second-hand citizen, right? Because they were the supreme power over the face of the earth. Compared to the other nations, they were the superpower, perhaps the lone superpower during that time. And what do they believe about Pharaoh, their king. Next slide. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was worshipped by the Egyptians because he was considered to be the greatest Egyptian god of all. It was believed that he was actually the son of Ra himself. Ra, by the way, happens to be the sun god of Egypt, manifest in the flesh. Egyptians recognized many gods and goddesses, including ten, that they revered very, very Highly. So the Egyptians believe in polytheism. They believe in many gods and goddesses, right? For example, who do they consider their gods and goddesses that they recognize immediately and accord great adoration towards? Next slide. The ten major Egyptian gods and goddesses. Let me see if this kind of rings a bell to all of you. If you recognize these gods and goddesses. Okay, Hoppy, uh, Hoppy, uh, Hect, you know Hect, Jeb, you know Jeb, Kepri, you know Kepri, Hathor, Sekhmet, Nut, Serapia, Ra, and Isis. Isis. I don't think that's related at all with the Isis that you're probably thinking of right now. It's not related at all, okay? These are the Egyptian, major Egyptian gods and goddesses. The Pharaoh, they know, he knows all of these gods and goddesses. The people in Egypt, they know these gods and goddesses. But the one god they don't know is who? The true God. This is why when Pharaoh was approached for the first time by Moses and Aaron, remember, our God, Yahuwah, is telling you to let my, our people go. What did, the king, what did the king or the Pharaoh say to, to Moses? 
Exodus 5.2. Let's go back there. Who is Yahuwah, right? Who is Yahuwah? The king demanded. Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I do not know Yahuwah, and I will not let Israel go. You know, God remembers that. That's an insult to him. When people go around saying, I don't know Yahuwah, when people ask the question, who is Yahuwah? God remember that. And so what will he do? He will show him his power. Why? Because in the following passages, in the following chapters we'll discuss today, it's one message God wants to deliver to the people of Israel, to the Egyptians, and especially to Pharaoh. What is that message? Next slide. I am Yahuwah. That's the one message God wants to communicate to the people of Israel, to the Egyptians, and to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh himself. And so let's go ahead and proceed. What does God instruct Moses to do? Exodus 7, 8 to 13. Then Yahuwah said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. When he does this, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh, and it will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what Yahuwah had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called in his own wise men and sorcerers, and these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. Interesting. But then Aaron's staff was swallowed up by their staff, uh, swallowed up their staffs. Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He still refused to listen, just as Yahuwah had predicted. And so what was the instruction of God to Moses and to Aaron? He said to them in advance, they're going to ask for a miracle. You know why? Because apparently miracles and, show and signs of wonder and signs of power, it was, a, uh, it was a, a normal thing in the lives of the Egyptians. Remember, besides God, who can also do miracles? The devil, right? I'm thinking, this is just, you know, just thinking out loud. Is it possible that perhaps the Egyptians were able to build all of those monuments because of help from some of these sources of power could be. We don't know, right? There's something to think about. I'm not teaching that to you as a, dog, as a dogma or as a, a teaching of faith. There's something to think about. Apparently, the people of Egypt were used to miracles. This is why God said to them in advance, guess what? They're going to ask for a miracle. And so Moses and Aaron, they were prepared. What did they do? The staff turned into a serpent. And so when this happened, Pharaoh, he was unfazed. Why? Because he was a proud man, right? And Egyptians were proud people, and they had their own sorcerers. So what did they do? They also created a serpent from their staff. However, to show the superior power of Yahuwah, what happened? The snake that came from Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. But Pharaoh's heart remained Hard, And so we will also look at the heart of Pharaoh because it tells us a lot about humanity, okay? This story that we're going to uncover today speaks of the power of God. It also speaks of the heart of man, beginning with the heart of, next slide, Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart. 
What does the Bible tell us about the heart of human beings? Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? According to scriptures, the, the human heart is the deceitful, the most deceitful of all things. In fact, Yahusha himself said something comes out of man's heart. What are they? Next slide, Mark 7, 21 to 23. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. And so the heart is a source of a lot of wickedness. This is why when people often use their heart to govern their choices in life, you got to be careful. We always have to correct our heart with the word of God. Our heart's decisions ought to be filtered by the words of our almighty God because a heart unfiltered by the words of God is going to produce all of these things. This is why people today are miserable. I just want to follow my heart. And truth is, they're following their flesh. And it has led to a very miserable life. Human beings have a heart that leads you, leads us to commit sin, especially Pharaoh. He has a lot of pride in him. He has a lot of this stuff coming out of his heart. And so we can already see two characteristics of the heart of Pharaoh. What are they? Next slide. Pharaoh's heart, number one, he's proud, right? He thinks of himself as a god. He's worshipped as a god. Of course, you're going to be proud, right? Number two, very stubborn. Even when he knows he needs to do something about what's happening, he still doesn't do it because he has a stubborn heart. He's proud and he has a stubborn heart. And so what happens to him when God gets involved and God uses his power? Let's read Exodus 7, 20 to 21. So Moses and Aaron did just as Yahuwah commanded them. As Pharaoh and all of his officials watched, Aaron raised his staff and struck the water of the Nile. Suddenly, the whole river turned to blood. The fish in the river died, and the water became so foul that the Egyptians couldn't drink it. There was blood everywhere throughout the land of Egypt. And so this was the first one. The first plague. We're studying all ten plagues today, which will take us all the way to chapter 11. <laughs> Okay, this is why we're going to go really fast. Is that okay? All right. So this is the first plague. What's the first plague? Turning the water of the Nile into blood. Why was that significant? To the Egyptians, the Nile River was the source of their life. It was their heartbeat. That's where they had commerce. That's where they had water. And to the people of Egypt, water was everything. And so what was the first plague? Turning the water into Blood. I almost said wine <laughs> for some reason. No, that would not be good. He turned it into blood. The fish in the river died and the water became so foul that the Egyptians could not drink it. Do you know why? God attacked the river Nile. He wanted to send a message. Yeah, he wanted to send a message. The plagues that God is giving or sending to the people of Egypt, it's also a mockery of their gods. Why? Well, who was considered the god of the Nile River? Next slide, please. His name was Happy. Happy was the god of the annual flooding of the Nile in ancient Egyptian religion. The flood deposited rich 
a silt, fertile soil on the river's banks, allowing the Egyptians to grow crops. Happy was greatly celebrated among the Egyptians. Guess what? When water was turned into blood, the Nile River killed, led to the demise of all the fish in the Nile River. This was a slap on the face of happy, right? It was a mockery of their God. And so we can cross out one of their gods. Next slide, please. Cross out happy, <laughs> right? God just showed that he was irrelevant because he could not do anything about what happened to the River Nile. So God showed his superiority over happy. And so what did, the Egypt, uh, what did Pharaoh and his magicians do? Exodus 7, 22, 25. But again, the magicians of Egypt used their magic. And they too turned water into blood. I wonder why they would do that. <laughs> They're just adding to their sorrow. So Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as Yahuwah had predicted. Pharaoh returned to his palace and put the whole thing out of his mind. Then all the Egyptians dug along the riverbank to find drinking water for they couldn't drink the water from the Nile. Seven days passed from the time Yahuwah struck the Nile. So there was problems already in the land of Egypt. They could not find drinkable water. But despite what was happening, what does Pharaoh do? The Bible says he put the whole thing out of his mind. Do we do that sometimes? Right? Because it's an inconvenient truth. Just pretend I didn't hear it. Just pretend I didn't see it. Close your eyes. Close your ears. It's not happening. Ignoring the truth. <laughs> this is what Pharaoh did because this is Pharaoh's heart. Next slide. So Pharaoh's heart can be characterized by three so far. Proud, stubborn, and ignores inconvenient truths. Truth that make you have to change something. In this case, he had to let the people of Israel go. And he, could not, he, did, he does not want uh, to do that. So what else does Yahuwah say to Moses? Exodus 8, 5 to 7. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, tell Aaron, Raise the staff in your hand over all the rivers, canals, and ponds of Egypt, and bring up frogs, frogs over all the land. So Aaron raised his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the whole land. But the magicians were able to do the same thing with their magic. They too caused frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. However, what eventually... Um, caused uh, Pharaoh to become disturbed by the frogs. Let's read Exodus 8.8. 8. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged. Let's change your heart. I mean, before he completely ignored Mer uh, Aaron, Moses and Aaron, right? Now he summons Moses and Aaron. Not only does he summon Moses and Aaron, what does he do? He begs. Plead with Yahuwah to take the frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to Yahuwah. Wow, all it took were frogs, right? And so we can see that the heart of Pharaoh when, number four, next slide please. When there's adversity, you begin to relent. And I guess that's true for a lot of us, right? You ignore, ignore the, the teachings of God. You ignore the commands of God. But when you get sick, when you lose your job, something bad happens. What happens? All of a sudden, you're all ears. <laughs> Pharaoh relents because of adversity. The frogs got to him really bad. 
perhaps he didn't like frogs, right? And so he said to, to, uh, to Moses and Aaron, let the frogs, get rid of the frogs. So what does Moses say to, to Pharaoh? Exodus 8, 9 to 11, you set the time. <laughs> it's a prayer appointment. <laughs> Moses replied, tell me when you want me to pray for you your officials and your people, then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. They will remain only in the Nile River. Do it tomorrow, Pharaoh said. All right, Moses replied, it will be as you have said. Then you will know that there is no one like Yahuwah our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile River. And so we see Pharaoh relent and listen now to whatever Yahuwah God has to say. And so this was another big message that Yahuwah has proclaimed over the land of Egypt. What is that? Who was the God of frogs? Next slide, please. Yep. Hecht. He actually has a head of a frog because in Egypt, they love frogs. The Egyptians believed the frog was the symbol of the life-giving power goddess, Hecht. She was the goddess who oversaw the women, the midwives who helped women have babies. She was thought to blow the breath of life into the nostrils. Egyptians had little statues of frogs on their nightstands. Imagine that. The killing of a frog was punishable by death. And so God mocked Hecht when he caused so much frogs there in the land of Egypt. It's like God is saying, you like, you like frogs so much? Okay, here are all the frogs. And then Pharaoh says, no more frogs. I can't stand the sight and the smell of these animals anymore. And so with that next slide, you can cross out Hecht, right? God has disposed of happy. God has disposed of Hecht. Who's next in God's crosshairs? Well, let's go to Exodus chapter 8, 12 down to 15. So Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh's palace, and Moses cried out to Yahuwah about the frogs he had inflicted on Pharaoh. So Moses was true to his word, right? And Yahuwah did just what Moses had predicted. The frogs in the houses, the courtyards and the fields all died. The Egyptian piled them into great heaps, and a terrible stench filled the land. But when Pharaoh saw that relief, relief had come, he became stubborn. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron just as Yahuwah had predicted. So when there were the frogs and there was great adversity, he was all ears, right? But when relief was given, what happened? He became stubborn again. Does that describe us? <laughs> Lord God, if you take away this, I promise you. All of a sudden, you forget all about God. <laughs> just like who? Just like Pharaoh. Right? Next slide, please. So one, one of the characteristics of Pharaoh's heart, number five, he does not commit to promises, especially promises he makes during days of adversity. Okay? That's Pharaoh's heart. Next slide, please. Exodus 8, 16 down to 17. So Yahuwah said to Moses, tell Aaron, raise your staff and strike the ground. The next plague is about to, is about to be set up. The dust will turn into swarms of gnats. What are gnats? Like lice, insects, throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did just as Yahuwah had commanded them. When Aaron raised his hand, 
and struck the ground with a staff. Gnats infested the entire land, covering the Egyptians and their animals. All the dust in the land of Egypt turned into gnats. And so with this plague, the source was the earth, the ground, the soil. It became gnats. And gnats, they were pests. And so because of this plague, what did Pharaoh's magicians try to do? Exodus 8, 18 to 19, Pharaoh's magicians tried to do the same thing with their secret arts, but this time they failed. And so at this point, whoever's backing up the magic of Pharaoh's magicians, they were no longer able to reproduce this power that is from Yahuwah. Right? And the gnats covered everyone, people and animals alike. This is the finger of God, the magicians exclaimed to Pharaoh. They have not seen power like this before. But Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't listen to them just as Yahuwah had predicted. So this plague caught the attention of the magicians. This is why they said this has the finger of God. This is something else, right? And so again, it made a mockery of the God of earth. Who is that? Next slide. His name is Jeb. Jeb is one of the most important Egyptian God in Egyptian history. Jeb was known as the God of earth. The, the ancient Egyptian believed Jeb's laughter was to start earthquakes. His is the masculine earth God, which opposite with many other religions where the earth is Feminine. So next slide, we can cross out Jeb. Next in line is who? Yeah, free. It's like going to octagon, right? So getting rid of one fighter after another. So let's go to the next slide. What is next? Exodus 8, 20 to 23. Then Yahuwah told Moses, get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river. Say to him, this is what Yahuwah says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse, I will send swarms of flies on you, your officials, your people, and all the houses. The Egyptian homes will be filled with flies, and the ground will be covered with them. But this time I will spare the region of Goshen. Why? The people of God live there. And so this time they will not be affected by the plague. I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live. No flies will be found there. Then you will know that I am Yahuwah and that I am present even in the heart of your land. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. And so God announces a miraculous sign. And he even puts a time of, of its occurrence. It will happen tomorrow. What is this about? It's about flies. However, many Bible scholars look at the word, the Hebrew word for flies, and it's actually very intriguing. Why? Next slide. The Hebrew word uses arov, and it means mixture, strangely enough, and could be interpreted to mean wild animals or insect. In fact, many scholars believe that the uh, arov, the flies mentioned in English, are beetles common in that area called the sacarabius from which we get the word scarab, which is a black beetle, which would make a lot of sense because flies, well, they're a nuisance. But with scarabs, with their teeth, that is a bigger nuisance and a bigger plague, right? And so many uh, Bible scholars believe it is the scarab 
rather than the fly that was mentioned there by the, by the Holy Scriptures using the word arov in Hebrew. It turns out, next slide, there is a scarab god. <laughs> yeah, that's how he looks like. Look at his head. Looks like the head of a, of a fly or a scarab. Kepri was a god of creation. The movement of the sun and rebirth. The scarab beetle lays its eggs in a ball of dung. Then, it's, then it rolls the ball along the ground until the young beetle are ready to hatch. When the young beetles are ready, they crawl out of the ball. The ancient Egyptians believed that the beetles just appeared from nowhere, as they believed that their creator god has appeared from nowhere. Thus, they thought that the scarab beetle was special. And so they worshipped the scarab god to keep away the scarabs. But what happened because of the plague? The scarabs are all over the place, which is a mockery of Kepri. Next slide. So we cross him out of the list. He cannot be the true God. And so what happens next? Exodus 8, 24 to 25. And Yahuwah did just as he had said. A thick swarm of flies filled Pharaoh's palace and the houses of his officials. The whole land of Egypt was thrown into chaos by the flies. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, all right, go ahead and offer sacrifices to your God, he said, but do it here in this land. And so here we see Pharaoh again relenting, right? But he makes a compromise. What does he say? Go ahead, worship God, but do it here. <clears throat> Don't leave because I'm going to lose all of my resources, you know, what's going to happen to my business. What's going to happen to my offering? You know, so you just stay here. Do it here, right? And so he was compromising, which reveals another part of the heart of Pharaoh. Next slide, number six, compromised obedience. It's when you tell God, Lord, I'm going to obey, but I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to go worship you, but only twice a month. I am going to renew my life, but on this day, can I do something else? You know, it's compromised obedience that's the heart of pharaoh and so what does moses say to pharaoh exodus 8 26 to 27 but moses replied that wouldn't be right the egyptians detest the sacrifices that we offer to yahuwah our god look if we offer our sacrifices here where the egyptians can see us they will stone us we must take a three-day trip into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to yahuwah our god just as he has commanded us. And so basically Moses says, no, this cannot happen. And so what does Pharaoh reply? Exodus 8.28, all right, go ahead. Pharaoh replied, I will let you go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to Yahuwah your God, but don't go too far away. Now hurry and pray for me. And so that's the promise that Pharaoh makes, right? And so after praying, what happens? Exodus 8, 29 to 32, Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to Yahuwah. And tomorrow the swarms of flies will disappear from you and your officials and all your people. But I'm warning you, Pharaoh, don't lie to us again and refuse to let the people go to sacrifice to Yahuwah. So Moses left Pharaoh's palace and pleaded with Yahuwah to remove all the flies. And Yahuwah did as Moses asked and caused the swarms of flies to disappear from Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. Not a single fly remained. It's a miracle. It's hard to get rid of flies, right? But Pharaoh again became stubborn and refused to let the people go. 
And so he lied again. Moses was already suspicious about his habit of lying. People are like that, right? When they are caught in a bad place, sometimes to preserve themselves, what do they do? They lie, right? They lie to get out of a mess. And this is what also uh, Pharaoh did. Next slide, please. So that's a character number seven of Pharaoh's heart, deceiving heart prepared to lie to save his skin. And so what happens next? Exodus 9, chapter 9, 1 down to 5. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says Yahuwah, God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, then they, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of Yahuwah will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, the very, a very severe pestilence and Yahuwah will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel then Yahuwah appointed a set time saying tomorrow Yahuwah will do this thing in the land so what's the next plague the hand of Yahuwah will be on your cattle in the field when you think of cattle what do you think of like a cow, right? A cow, part of livestock, beef, don't eat beef, eat. You don't eat Chick-fil-A, <laughs> eat chicken, right? Do you know, in Egypt, there's a famous cow in Egypt. You know what the god, the, uh, who's the, the goddess of uh, cow, <laughs> the celestial cow is? Next slide. Get that source of milk, make you strong, right? What's his name? Next slide, please. His name, the name is Hathor, Hathor, not Thor, but Hathor. It is known as a divine or celestial cow. Perhaps Hathor's most famous manifestation is as a cow. Even when appearing as a woman, she often sports a cow's head or at least a pair of cow ears. The nourishing generosity of the cow is always readily available and so they worship Hathor who preserves and protects the cow who is a source of so many things but what happened to all the cattle it perished because of the plague so that was a major hit against Hathor next slide we can cross them off the list of useless Egyptian gods and goddesses next slide Exodus 9 6 down to 7 and Yahuwah did just as he had said the next morning all the livestock of the Egyptians died but the Israelites didn't lose a single animal Pharaoh sent his officials to investigate and they discovered that the Israelites had not lost a single animal but even so Pharaoh's heart remained stubborn and he still refused to let the people go and so we can see here Pharaoh perhaps he was regretting what he did because when you look at all the livestock they're all gone right and so maybe to make himself feel better maybe it also happened to the people in Goshen and so what did he do he sent officials to investigate to make him feel better right sometimes we do that when we try to justify the wrong that we do to make us feel better do you do that sometimes you justify the wrong that you do People do that all the time. That's what Pharaoh did. Next slide. And so that's number eight. Just Pharaoh's heart tries to justify his disobedience. 
And so what does Yahuwah say to Moses and Aaron? Exodus 9, 8 to 10. Then Yahuwah said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and have Moses toss it into the air while Pharaoh watches. The ashes will spread like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, causing festering boils to break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took suit from a brick kiln and went and stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh watched Moses threw the suit into the air and boils broke out on people and animals alike. What was the next plague? This is a pretty tough one. When you look at the other plagues, you can probably bear it, right? Frogs, lice, no big deal. <laughs> Water into blood. I mean, it's a big headache, but boils? I mean, if you have one boil, it's painful, isn't it? Right? Boils all over your body, breaking out on all people and animals throughout the land. That is very painful, right? And so this was a really, for me, it was a very major um, plague, right? And so who was being mocked because of the boils? Next slide, please. It is Sekhmet. Sekhmet, also known as the goddess of epidemics and healing. Yeah, I mean, if they, if they worship Sekhmet and Sekhmet is really a god or a goddess, then she would have done something about the boils, right? She could have prevented the boils. She's synonymous with protection for humans. The priests believe faithfully in it to heal and protect from all the diseases, plagues, and eye ailments that had spread across the river Nile. And so she's the source of healing the source of epidemics, the goddess of healing, Sekhmet. But because of the boils, this goddess is rendered useless. Next slide. Cross out Sekhmet. How many do we have left? Got four, right? And so what happened with the magicians? Exodus 9, 11, and 12, even the magicians were unable to stand before Moses because the boils had broken out on them and all the Egyptians. But Yahuwah hardened Pharaoh's heart. And just as Yahuwah had predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen. What, what, I mean, what plague is this? Yeah, what number? <laughs> number six. The first five plagues, who hardened the heart of Pharaoh? Himself. Right? He hardened his heart. Was he given opportunities to soften his heart, to repent, return to God, to let the people of Israel go? Yes! Yes! But he keeps hardening his heart. Until such a time came when God said, enough is enough. And so beginning here, what does God do now? He's the one now who is hardening his heart. This is why even the boils, the Pharaoh still refused to listen because God is now hardening his heart. That's a pretty scary thing, isn't it? When God decides to let go, when God loses his patience, that's a scary thing. This is why, yes, God is a God of patience, but he also, there's also a limit to his patience. Time will come when he's going to say enough is enough. This is why, while we have the opportunity, what should we do? Next slide. Matthew 13, 14 and 15. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened. 
and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. This is a warning of Lord Yahusha concerning a prophecy from Isaiah, which describes the people who harden their hearts. Time will come when you keep hardening your heart, even if the truth is plain to see, even if it's in front of your face, you can see it word for word, Yahuwah, you're still going to reject it. You're going to close your eyes. Even if you can, you can see and understand the name, you're going to say, oh, it's, it's forbidden. We're not allowed to pronounce the name. When you look at the Bible, it was being pronounced by everyone. God wants it pronounced. God wants it announced. God wants it proclaimed. And then you're going to say, no, it's forbidden. Right? If you keep hardening your heart, time will come when God himself will harden that. What does that mean? The book of Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12, they will perish because they did not welcome and love the truth, so as to be saved. And so God sends the power of error to work in them so that they believe what is false. The result is that all who have not believed the truth but have taken pleasure in sin will be condemned. This is why we have to act while we have the ability to act. If God is teaching us, trying to teach us something about him, something that we need to do, let's listen not harden our hearts. Why? So that we will not be condemned. What is the warning of the Apostle Paul? He says, if we will not welcome and love the truth, then God will send the power of error. And so when we refuse to know the Bible, when we refuse to know the commands of God, time will come and God will say, okay, if you don't love the truth, if you don't welcome the truth, then he's going to send the power of error. This happened to Pharaoh. Right? Don't let what happened to Pharaoh happen to us. So what's the solution? Welcome the truth. Love the truth. How do we do that? We study the truth. We study the truth and investigate the words of our almighty God. Don't let what happened to Pharaoh happen to any of us. And so what happened to Pharaoh? Exodus 9, 17 to 19. But you still lord it over my people and refuse to let them go. So tomorrow at this time, I will send a hailstorm more devastating than any in all the history of Egypt. Quick, order your livestock and servants to come in from the fields to find shelter. Any person or animal left outside will die when the hail falls. And so what is going to come next? A hailstorm. Have you ever experienced a hailstorm before? Yeah. Like a major hailstorm when pieces of ice this big is coming from the sky and they wreck your car, this hailstorm is different. This one is so devastating, nothing like that has happened in the history of Egypt because it's a plague. It's a supernatural event from the hand of God. What is God's purpose? To mock the gods of Egypt, right? Now, I wonder who could possibly be the god or goddess behind this kind of activity. Uh, let's go to the next slide. His name is, the name, her name is Nut. <laughs> it's a nice name, huh? Nut was the goddess of the sky and all heavenly bodies, a symbol of resurrection and rebirth. According to Egyptians, the heavenly bodies would enter her mouth, traverse her skies, and be reborn with dawn out of her womb. She was taught to protect Egypt from chaos by preserving 
order. And so she preserves order, prevents chaos. She's in charge of the heavenly bodies. So if there's someone to protect Egypt from a hailstorm, creating a lot of chaos and destruction, who would it be? It would be not. Not this time. So not to not. Next slide. X to not. Not well or not. <laughs> Forget it. And so what happens next? Next slide, please. Exodus 9, 2021. Some of Pharaoh's officials were afraid because of what Yahuwah had said. They quickly brought their servants and livestock from the fields. But those who paid no attention to the word of Yahuwah left theirs out in the open. So there were still some doubts from some of Pharaoh's officials because they still believed in not. Not's going to protect me. But there were those who really were afraid of what Yahuwah had said. They had enough of Yahuwah's power. And so they did something to protect themselves. And so what eventually happened? Exodus 9, 22, 26. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, lift your hand toward the sky, so hail may fall on the people, the livestock and all the plants throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses lifted his staff toward the sky, and Yahuwah sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed toward the earth. Yahuwah sent a tremendous hailstorm against all the land of Egypt. Never in all the history of Egypt has there had there been a storm like that. With such devastating hail and continuous lightning, it left all of Egypt in ruins. The hail struck down everything in the open field, people, animals, and plants alike. Even the trees were destroyed. The only place without hail was the region of Goshen, where the people of Israel live. And so not was not very useful to the people of Israel. And so what happened for the first time? What does Pharaoh do now? Exodus 9, 27, 28. And Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned. What does he do? Confess. It's a confession. Is that good or bad? Oh, that's good, right? Here's Moses. I mean, here's uh, Pharaoh. For the first time, he tells Moses to come, Aaron to come. This time I have sinned. He confessed. Yahuwah is the righteous one, and my people and I are wrong. That's a big confession, an acknowledgement. Please beg Yahuwah to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We've had enough. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. And so here's Pharaoh. And he says, this time I have sinned. You know what that is? One would think it's repentance, but it's not. You know what that is? It's remorse. What's the difference? With remorse, when you do something wrong against someone, you want to confess what you did wrong because you, want, you don't want to lose what this someone has given you. Or you want to protect yourself. You're not really interested in the someone that you had offended. That's remorse. Repentance is different. What's repentance? It's when you feel remorse because you offended that someone. And so you want to change. Difference between remorse and uh, repent. Next slide. And so he was remorseful, but not repent. What's the proof that he was remorseful and not repent? Next slide. Exodus 9, 33, 35. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and went out of the city. When he lifted his hands to Yahuwah, the thunder and hail stopped. And the downpour ceased. But when Pharaoh 
saw that the rain, hail, and thunder had stopped, he and his officials, what happened? Sin again. Sin again. And Pharaoh again became stubborn because his heart was hard. Pharaoh refused to let the people leave, just as Yahu had predicted through Moses. And so he was remorseful, right? Because bad things were happening to him. He wants to get rid of the bad things. He wasn't repentant. Because if he was repentant, even if the bad things were gone, he would still fulfill his promise. That's repentance. When you change to honor the one that you offended, not so that you can protect yourself. You see the difference? And so Pharaoh was not really repentant. That's why he went back to sinning when relief finally came again. Hmm. Does that describe some of us? Unfortunately. No? And so what, happened? what does Yahuwah do next? Uh, Exodus 10, 3 down to 6. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what Yahuwah, the God of the Hebrews, says, How long will, ref you, will you refuse to submit to me? Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse, watch out. For tomorrow I will bring a swarm of locusts on your country. It will cover the land so that you won't be able to see the ground. It will devour what little is left of your crops after the hailstorm, including all the trees growing in the fields. It will overrun your palaces and the homes of your officials and all the houses of Egypt. Never in the history of Egypt have your ancestors seen a plague like this one. And with that, Moses turned and left Pharaoh. So what's the next plague? Locusts. So after the hailstorm, you have locusts. And so what goddess or God is being affected here? Next slide, please. From a book, Exploring Humanities Around the World in a Celebration of the Human Spirit. There's a god by the name of Serapia, recognized by Egyptians as the protector from locusts. Apparently, locusts was a problem in Egypt because in some countries, locusts is a big problem, right? You have swarms of locusts, even today, somewhere in Africa right now, right? There's a problem with swarms of locusts. In Egypt, it was also a problem, but they relied on Serapia to protect them, but not this time. What happened? Next slide, please. Pharaoh's officials now came to Pharaoh and appealed to him. How long will you let this man hold us hostage? Let the men go to worship Yahuwah their God. Don't you realize that Egyptian li Egypt lies in ruins? And so his, his officials, they're giving him wise counsel. The Sangunian is giving him wise counsel, right? Don't you realize that Egypt lies in ruins? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. All right, he told them, go and worship Yahuwah your God. But who exactly will be going with you? Moses replied, we will all go, young and old, our sons and daughters, our flocks and herds. We must all join together in celebrating a festival to Yahuwah. So what does Pharaoh say? Exodus 10, 10 to 11. Pharaoh retorted, Yahuwah will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plan. Never. Only the men may go and worship Yahuwah since that is what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. And so instead of listening to the wise counsel of his Sangunian, what does he do? He became hostile. And he released some threats. Right? And that also characterizes... Pharaoh's heart. Next slide, number 10, refuses wise counsel. Refuses wise 
counsel. And so what does Yahuwah say to Moses? Then Yahuwah said to Moses, raise your hand over the land of Egypt to bring on the locusts. Let them cover the land and devour every plant that survived the hailstorm. So Moses raised his staff over Egypt, and Yahuwah caused an east wind to blow over the land all day and through the night. When morning arrived, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts swarmed over the whole land of Egypt, settling in dense swarms from one end of the country to the other. It was the worst locust plague in Egyptian history, and there was never been another one like it. For the locusts covered the whole country and darkened the land. They devoured every plant, the fields, and all the fruit on the trees that had survived the hailstorm. Not a single leaf was left on the trees and plants throughout the land of Egypt. And so what does Pharaoh do when the locust devours everything? Exodus 10, 16, 20. Pharaoh quickly summons Moses and Aaron. I have sinned. He's being remorseful again. Against Yahuwah your God and against you, he confessed. Forgive my sins just this once and plead with Yahuwah your God to take away this death from me. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and pleaded with Yahuwah. Yahuwah responded by shifting the wind and the strong west wind blew the locusts into the Red Sea. Not a single locust remained in all the land of Egypt. But Yahuwah hardened Pharaoh's heart again. So he refused to let the people go. Sayang, huh? If he only relented back then, he could have saved all of Egypt. But the locusts was able to destroy him. Next slide, please. And so Serapia is gone. Got two left. And God saved the best two for last. Who are they? The king and queen of the gods and goddesses. Who is recognized as the king of all the gods? Next slide. Ra. He's the, he's the almighty god. The sun god Ra was largely worshipping Heliopolis, which was the cult palace in ancient Egypt. And so he was their chief god. He was the god of the gods, the lord of the lords. He was the man. He was the king of the gods, right? And so he would protect Egypt because he was in charge of the sun. And they worshipped the sun because that represented the sun god Ra. And so how would God attack that? What do you think, what do you think Yahuwah did? Next slide. Exodus 10, 21, 23. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven, and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky, and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved. But there was light as usual, for the people of Israel lived. Very, very unusual, right? Can you imagine for three days? Even if it's at noon, right in front of you, you can't see a person's face? That's very frightening, isn't it? Right? And so this is what happened when darkness so thick covered the land. And so Ra, next slide, was basically useless. I was, perhaps they were worshiping and giving him offerings, but the darkness remain but they still have one hope who's that yeah they have one hope right their isis their god but next slide please finally pharaoh called for moses go and worship yahuwah he said but leave your flocks and herds here you may even take your little ones with you no, Moses said, you must provide us with animals for sacrifices and burnt offerings 
to Yahuwah our God. All our livestock must go with us too. Not a hoof can be left behind. We must choose our sacrifices for Yahuwah our God from among these animals. And we won't know how we are to worship Yahuwah until we get there. But Yahuwah hardened his heart once more, and he would not let them go. Get out of here, Pharaoh shouted to Moses. I'm warning you, never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. And so instead of Pharaoh relenting, he even gives a threat, right? Next style, next slide. And so we complete the description of Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart is characterized by what? He's proud, stubborn, ignores inconvenient truths, relents only in adversity, does not commit to promises, compromise obedience, deceiving, justifies disobedience, remorseful but not repentant, refuses wise counsel, hostile and threatening. That's Pharaoh's heart. I want you to take a look at it. What do you notice about Pharaoh's heart? Look at the characteristics of Pharaoh's heart. What do you notice about it? Do you notice anything about it? This is what I notice about Pharaoh's heart. Next slide. That's also our heart. Right? If we're going to admit it, the story of Pharaoh there is really our story. When you really look at it, we're just like Pharaoh too. It's hard to admit. But brethren, if we will not admit that our heart is like this, we're not going to get better. Do you get that? This is Pharaoh's heart. This is also our heart. We become proud. We become stubborn. We ignore some truths, right? We justify disobedience. We do that. We're humans. And so when God gives us the opportunity to change our heart, what should we do? Next slide. Romans chapter 2, 4 down to 8. Or perhaps you despise his great kindness, tolerance, and patience. Surely you know that God is kind because he's trying to lead you to repent. But you have a hard and stubborn heart. And so you are making your own punishment even greater on the day when God's anger and righteous judgment will be revealed. For God will reward each of us according to what we have done. Some people keep on doing good and seek glory, honor, and immortal life. To them, God will give eternal life. Other people are selfish and reject what is right in order to follow what is wrong. And then God will pour out his anger and fury. You know, if we, you know, sometimes God doesn't punish us at all because he, He's kind, he's tolerant, he's patient. But when God gives us a chance, when we know we're doing something wrong, when God gives us the opportunity, we need to repent right away. Why? Because if our heart remains stubborn, just like Pharaoh, our punishment will be even greater on the day when God's anger is manifested. We don't want to end up like Pharaoh. And so, brethren, we should repent. Every day, repent and renew our Life. What happened to Pharaoh? Exodus 11.1, 1, Then Yahuwah said to Moses, I will strike Pharaoh in the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will, will let you leave this country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. Okay, So one more blow, according to Yahuwah. But before he delivers the final blow, something God does first. What is that? Next slide, Exodus 11, 2-3. Tell all the Israelite men and women to ask their Egyptian neighbors for articles of silver and gold. 
Now, Yahuwah had caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the people of Israel. And Moses was considered a very great man in the land of Egypt, respected by Pharaoh's officials and the Egyptian people alike. And so before delivering the final blow, what does Yahuwah tell Moses and all the Israelite men and women to do? Ask their Egyptian neighbors for all of their possessions, their silvers, their articles of silver and gold, their clothing. Do you know why God said this? Do you still remember back in Exodus chapter 5, chapter 3, when he spoke to Moses for the first time? Remember his promise? What was that? Let's go back to Exodus 3, 21, 22. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and find clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptian of their wealth. Perhaps we forgot about that, but God did not. You see, when God makes a promise, he will remember. And not only will he remember, he will deliver his promises. That's why God caused favor to fall upon the Egyptians, favor for the people of Israel. But they still have one God left, right? What is that? Next slide, Isis. Isis is an ancient Egyptian goddess who was considered the mother of every pharaoh and the protector of the children of the royal family. She's regularly portrayed as the selfless, giving mother, wife, and protectress who places others' interests and well-being ahead of her own. She was also known as Weret Kekau, great magic, for her power, Mutnejer, mother of the gods. This was her last hope, right? Protector of the children of Pharaoh. And you already know what's going to happen next. What's the 10th plague? Yeah, Exodus 11, 4 to 7. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what Yahuwah says, at midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. And a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt. A wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that Yahuwah makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And so the firstborn son was killed, including Pharaoh's firstborn son. Which means, next slide, the ten gods and goddesses of Egypt, they were useless before the power and the hand of Yahuwah, our God, right? And why did God perform all these miracles? Exodus 10, 1 to 2, then Yahuwah said to Moses, return to Pharaoh, make her demands again. I have made him and his officials stubborn, so I can display my miraculous signs among them. Why? And so you will know, at the bottom, what does it say? So that you will know that I am Yahuwah. Because before, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, they only knew their gods. And Pharaoh dared say, who is this Yahuwah? I don't know Yahuwah. Now he knows who Yahuwah is. And why did God do this? Exodus 9, 13 and 16, verse 16. But I have raised you up, the Pharaoh, for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and 
that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's why he did that. Before the other names of the different gods and goddesses, they were known, they were famous, but the name of Yahuwah was not famous. And so what does he want? He wants his name to be proclaimed. That's why he delivered, that's why he used his power to show one thing. What is that? Next slide. The message. I am Yahuwah. How about during our time? Is that what God also wants? Next slide. The book of Isaiah 42 verse 8. God says, I am Yahuwah. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. You notice, when Yahuwah gave and showed his power, did Moses and Aaron take any of the glory for themselves? Were they even recognized? No, people recognize who? Yahuwah. Yahuwah our God. Not the leaders. The leaders did not take the glory that belongs to God for themselves. It's unfortunate that nowadays there are religious leaders who are taking the glory that belongs to God and for themselves, right? And so the name of God is no longer recognized today, but their names are recognized. It's spread all over the world. But their name, the name of God, it's absent. God says, I am Yahuwah, that is my name. And I will not give my glory to anyone else. How about for us, members of the Church of Christ that came from the Philippines in 1914. Is it God's will for us to exalt that name? In the book of Isaiah 24, 14 and 16, they raise their voices, they shout for joy from the West. They acclaim Yahuwah's majesty. Therefore, in the East, give glory to Yahuwah, exalt the name of Yahuwah, the God of Israel. In the islands of the sea, from the ends of the earth, we hear singing, glory to the righteous one. But I said, I waste away, I waste away. Woe to me, the treacherous betray. With treachery, the treacherous betray. The Bible says in this prophecy, there's going to be a people of God. Where will they come from? Islands of the sea. During what time? Ends of the earth. And what does God expect from his people who will come from the islands of the sea during a time called ends of the earth? That we will give glory to who? Yahuwah. However, what happened according to the prophecy? I waste away. I waste away. The treacherous betray. There's an act of betrayal mentioned in the prophecy. I want to ask you something. Is that okay? I want you to look at the quote. It says, glory to the righteous one. You see it? Who is the righteous one there? Are you sure? Because there are people, I mean, when we look at some church organizations today, and so the righteous one being referred to as Yahuwah, it has been transferred to a person here on earth. His name is known here on earth, but the name of Yahuwah is gone. What must we do? We have to restore the glory that belongs to Yahuwah. How so? We must acclaim Yahuwah's majesty. We must exalt the name of Yahuwah. This is what he wants ever since the beginning. That's why he sent out the plagues. He wants to give out the message, I am Yahuwah. And we must do our part in proclaiming the name of our Father. Okay? Now we'll go to, that's the first part of our study. We're almost actually done. We're just going to go through, next slide, our mailbox. Right? We'll go through a mailbox, and there is this one person, one brother, who gave five questions. 
we'll go through we'll go through really quickly next slide please i would like to ask for advice paul on our next bhp about weddings anyone here planning to get married no no kasa sorry you can't get married. you're already married <laughs> number one i would how should the expelled parents react understand and deal with the situation where they're being prohibited to attend the wedding ceremony and the receptions of their children who are still in the INC institution. Is this biblical Paul? Number two, likewise, the parents, including their relatives and friends, are prohibited to attend in the wedding ceremony of their expelled children. They say, they say the INC institution says, it is not a true wedding. As Christians, are we prohibited from having a civil wedding? Number four, if invited, are we prohibited to attend any wedding ceremony done by other religious organizations? Number five, are civil weddings based on the commands of our God, Yahuwah, or is this only the law of man? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Paul. Okay, so we'll go with, uh, we'll go with question number one. Uh, how should the expelled parents react, understand, and deal whenever the situation comes up wherein they are not allowed to attend the wedding of their children, including the reception, because their children are still in the INC institution? When you prohibit your parents from attending your wedding, is that biblical Paul? Okay. Well, first of all, we can't do anything about what the INC decides to do, right? So if the kids are still members of the INC, INC has the right to refuse us to be a part of their ceremony because it's their ceremony. However, is it biblical? What do you think? Is that biblical? No. Why not? Matthew 15, 3 down to 7, Yahusha answered and why do you disobey god's command and follow your own teaching for god said respect your father and your mother and if you curse your father or your mother you are to be put to death but you teach that if people have something they could use to help their father or mother but say this belongs to god they do not need to honor their father in this way you dis disregard god's command in order to follow your own teaching you hypocrites how right isaiah was when he prophesied about you according to lord yahushua what is the command of god that we must always follow it is the command to respect father and mother and so when the institution will tell their children not to let their parents come then they are disobeying this command of who the father they're preventing their children from respecting and honoring father and mother is that a teaching of god no that's their teaching Yahusha says, why do you disobey God's command and follow your own teaching? This is a human teaching. So when institutions tell you that you cannot invite your parents to this wedding because they're not members, and you, have, you provide a religious reason, that's just a teaching of man. Because the teaching of God says, respect, honor your father and mother. And so it's not a teaching of God. But, of course, this institution has every right to break the command of God if they so want, right? It's not up to us. And so what should be our response? How should we feel? Of course, we feel terrible. But at the same time, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, the Bible says, God, bless you, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And so consider it as persecution for doing what is right in the eyes of our 
father. And so what should we not do, however, when we are being pressured to do what is against the will of Yahusha? Matthew 10, 37, 38, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. So the best thing to do, you have a son, you have a daughter who is still in the institution, talk to them. Tell them the truth. This is God's will. What they want you to do is not God's will. However, it's still your decision. And no matter what happens, I still love you. But I will follow my Lord Yahusha and Yahuwah, my God, and I will not go back to the institution and betray my God and Yahusha. Okay, let's go to the next question. Let's do number two and number three because they're related. Likewise, the parents, including the relatives and friends, are prohibited uh, to attend in the wedding ceremony of your expelled children. They say, the INC institution says it's not a true wedding. As Christians, are we prohibited from having a civil wedding? Okay, have you encountered this question before? Are we prohibited from having a civil wedding? What's your answer? No, we're not prohibited from having a civil wedding. Is a civil, is a, is a civil wedding acceptable? Yeah, here's a question I want to ask you. Next slide. Which came first, the establishment of marriage or the giving out of the law? What do you think came first? The institution of marriage or the giving of the law? Huh? Marriage. When was marriage instituted? Genesis 2, 21 to 24. Then Yahuwah God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just, who is just right for him. So Yahuwah God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while the man slept. Yahuwah God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then Yahuwah God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. That's marriage. Right? When was it instituted? When God saw that man being alone was not good. Remember when God created everything, he said, everything's good. And he looked at man and he said, he's alone. He doesn't have a suitable companion. What do you say? I want to make woman to be what? To be a helper, to be a companion for man. So both man and woman were created for each other so that they will not be lonely. Okay, so that's one reason why marriage was instituted by God way back when or during the time of the Garden of Eden to be a helper, to be a companion so they can assist and help each other. What also is the purpose of marriage? Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply but also is the purpose of marriage so that man and woman can pro create okay so one companionship two pro creation that's why god instituted marriage when god instituted marriage for companionship and procreation was it only for the christians no you notice every civilization every religion even the remotest societies they all have a kind of marriage. Why? Because it was given by God before the giving out of the law. And so according to 
Malachi, what also is the purpose of marriage? Malachi 2, 15 and 16, didn't Yahuwah make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says Yahuwah, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says Yahuwah of heaven's army. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. What also is the purpose of marriage? To model loyalty and faithfulness so that children can be brought up. And so God is giving this blessing called marriage for the sake of society. It's a blessing for people in general. All people have been given this blessing called marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? It is for society, society to function faithfully and loyally, to have companionship, and to procreate. Blessing from God to all human beings. Are we surprised by this? Matthew 5, 45. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And so when God gave blessings to all people, food, water, oxygen, sunlight, rain, did he only give that to the Christians? No, he gave that to who? all people, including the blessing of marriage. Marriage is a blessing for all people because of creation, because it is good for all people. This is why when people get married in a civil wedding, it's acceptable to God. What's the proof? 1 Corinthians 7, 12 down to 14. To the others I say, I myself, not the Lord, if a Christian man has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she agrees to go on living with him, he must not divorce her. And if a Christian woman is married to a man who is an unbeliever, and he agrees to go on living with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made acceptable to God by being united to his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made acceptable to God by being united to her Christian husband. If this were not so, their children would be like pagan children. But as it is, they are acceptable to God. Now, when Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, the Corinthians, who solemnized their wedding? The apostles? Was it the apostles who, saw, who solemnized their weddings? I don't think so. When Apostle Paul found them, one, one husband Christian, the other is a pagan, what did Apostle Paul say? Your wedding is not good enough? No. Did he marry them again? No. He said it's acceptable to who? Our Almighty God. Why? Because a wedding... It's a blessing. It's a gift of God for all of humanity. And because of that, it should be respected. Okay, next slide. Let's go to number four. If invited, are we prohibited to attend any wedding ceremony done by other religious organizations? Here's my question. When you attend, when you go to a different, uh, to a wedding ceremony of your friend, okay, who belongs to a different religion, they invite you as a guest and you go there. When you go there, are you the one getting married? No. Are you the one getting blessed? Are you the one worshiping their God? Who is it? Them. Not you. Right? Is there anything wrong to go there? Is that wrong to go there? No. Why would it be wrong? Apostle Paul, would he consider that wrong? Well, let's read here in the book of Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. He says, I am a free man. I'm a free man. Nobody's slave, but I make myself everybody's slave in order to win as many people as possible. While working with the Jews, I live like a Jew in order to win them. 
And even though I myself am not subject to the law of Moses, I live as though I were, I were when working with those who are in order to win them. In the same way, when working with Gentiles, I live like a Gentile outside the Jewish law in order to win Gentiles. This does not mean that I don't obey God's law. I am really under Christ's law. Among the weak in faith, I become weak like one of them in order to win them. So I become all things to all people that I may save some of them by whatever means are possible. All this I do for the gospel's sake in order to share in its blessings. Make sense? Or the Apostle Paul, if someone from your friend invites you to attend a wedding and it's a, it's a religious ceremony, is that okay? Yeah. You know, when I was on the INC, I was sent by the administration to go to different churches. And I would go and worship with them and learn from them. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Brother Felix Fabanalo, when he was still alive, he told the members of the INC who went to the pioneers of the West, when they were in the West, you know what the Sugo said to them? Go worship in the Protestant religions because he also worshiped God. That was the instruction. And so to attend the wedding, because he or she is your friend, that's permissible. Why? Because it gives us the opportunity to win them to the gospel. If you will refuse that, if, for example, you will say to them, oh, I cannot attend because you don't belong to the same religion I do. What are you doing? You're closing the door on them. You're slamming the door in their face. Apostle Paul says, I become a Jew, I become a Gentile, I become everything to everyone, so I can win them over to the gospel. It doesn't mean you go drinking, right? Your purpose is to do what you can to bring your friends to the same faith as you do. And that means supporting them in their times of joy and in their times of need. Okay, let's go to number five. Are civil weddings based on the commandments of our God, Yahuwah, or is this only the law of man? Let's go to Romans 13, 1 down to 2. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authorities is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. And so if you get married in a civil wedding, is that the will of God? Yeah. That's the will of God. I mean, if... if uh, there's no way for you to get married in a church and a judge will marry you. What does the Bible say? Well, there are governing authorities that have been appointed by who? God. Respect those governing authorities, like in the Philippines, right? I mean, there are rules governing marriage. In the United States, there are rules governing marriage. Sometimes they differ when it comes to divorce and separation. But there are laws nonetheless. And so if we get married in a civil wedding, is that acceptable? Is that permissible? Yes. This is why in the INC today, if you get married by civil wedding, they cannot expel you for that because it's still recognized as a wedding. You're not expelled for that, right? What can we be expelled from? What is against the will of God? In the book of Hebrews 13 and the verses 4, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This is why 
just because you're no longer in the institution, nobody's watching you, do not say to yourself, oh, I'm a defender. I'm doing God's will. So you, you, do, you, begin, you begin to engage in adulterous relationship. That's not good, right? Remember, God is still watching us. You cannot say, I'm no longer in the institution, therefore I can do whatever I want and live a life of sexual immorality and commit adultery. No, the Bible says God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This is why you go to Genesis 12, 17 to 20. When Pharaoh wanted Abraham's sister, remember? It was because he did not recognize that he was the wife. When he found out, he said, why didn't you tell me? And so even Pharaoh, the Egyptians, recognized marriage. What else? Genesis 20, 27. Remember King Abimelech of Gerar? He also recognized the sanctity of marriage. You notice every civilization, they have rules and they have guidelines for marriage. That's a gift from our almighty father. Joseph, he was married to who? An Egyptian. Right? Moses, he was married to, to a Midianite, right? And also to an Ethiopian. And so these were marriages which were valid. What is not allowed, what is against the will of God, is if you defile marriage or if you live like you're married because you are committing sexual immorality. But according to scriptures, what would be the best way to get married? Here it is, the book of Romans 7, 1 to 3. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, I want to pause it for a while, he's referring to his brothers and sisters. And so what's the context here? Same faith, right? Dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, so you know the words of God. Don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. And so for us who are familiar with the law, what's the best way for us to receive marriage? It is through the word of God. When we have a ceremony as brothers and sisters of the faith. That's the ideal. If that's not possible to avoid sin, what is permissible? Civil wedding. What is the preference? We will have a wedding inside the church. Okay, so if there are those watching, you want to get married, right? But you cannot get married because you're no longer in the INC or any institution, contact us. We can help you solemnize your weddings in a way that fits the description of Romans 7, 1, 3, where in the word of God is what will bind husband and wife together for those who are familiar with the law and are brothers and sisters in the faith. Okay? I hope that's clear. Let's go one more question, the last one. Okay. Ito po ang aking katanungan, kapatid. Bakit po... Sa mga posts ni Ka Michael Sandoval sa YouTube at FB ay nauwi lahat sa pangungutya, pang-uusig, ag, at pagtatawa. Sorry? Pagtatawa? Okay. Can someone translate that? 
What's that? Insult? Mockering, insulting, persecution, mockering, pagtawa, laughing. Kapag hindi niya masagot ang makatwirang tanong, when he's unable to answer uh, relevant questions or good questions, hindi matanggap ang tamang sagot if he cannot uh, accept a correct answer, dinadaan na lang sa mga walang halaga at kabuluhang sagot at Katwiran. So he refers to useless words or statements which are irrelevant. Mga video at audio na pinagsama-sama at pagtatawanan. And so he will create videos and audio snippets of videos, right? And create uh, humor out of it. Make, it. make it humorous and insulting. At nakikita ito sa buong mundo kung anong klaseng religion. The whole world is observing what kind of religion at pinagmamalaki nila na sila ay mga iglesia ni Cristo. Yeah. So the whole world now is seeing what they're also proud of as members of the iglesia ni Cristo. Ang mga comment ng mga kapatid ay hindi na po salitang kristyano. When you look at the comments, you cannot tell. It's no longer a Christian. It's not, it's not Christian anymore namumuhi, ng aapi, ng lalait, naninira, mga walang galang at respeto. Katulad na nila ang mga hudyo, ang mga hudyo na nagtawa, nagparusa at nagpapatay sa Panginoong Yahusha. Nawala na ang mga huwarang ministro. Kakaunti ang natira, maraming salamat po. Please add po sa BHP. Thank you po. This is why I have to add it. And it's really relevant. You know, I haven't seen the post of uh, Michael Sandoval or INC for a long time now because I blocked them. I already blocked them, so I have no idea what they're doing. And I began, I began to block them when they were blaspheming the name because if they blaspheme the name, I don't want to have part of anyone on Facebook that blasphemes the name. Okay? And so are we surprised that this is happening? They're proclaiming to be the true church, the true religion, and at the same time, they engage in behavior like that? Are we surprised? Why not? Let's read here, the book of uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 5. Remember, there will be difficult times in the last days. People will be selfish, greedy, boastful, and conceited. They will be insulting, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and irreligious. They will blaspheme. They will be unkind, merciless, slanderers, violent, and fierce. They will hate the good. They will be treacherous, reckless, and swollen with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. They will hold to the outward form of our religion, but reject its real power. Keep away from such people. Are we surprised that this is happening? No. It was prophesied by the Apostle Paul. What did he say? He said, in the last days, this is how people are going to behave. Just like what was asked by that brother, right? They will be insulting? Check. Boastful? Check. Disobedient to their parents? Check. Irreligious or blasphemers? This is why I blocked them. I did all these videos about the name of our God. I mean, just to look at it, I didn't want to give them a platform to express how much they're blaspheming and mocking the name of the Father. It was just too much. And so they were irreligious. Slanderers? Check. They hate the good? Check. Reckless? Check. And what's to top it off? These people who are doing this, they're religious. Yeah. They say they're the only true religion, the only true church that will be saved. Apostle Paul says, they do all that 
because they hold on only to the outward form of religion. You see, when you only hold on to the outward form of religion, you are going to be exposed by what you do. And when you look at everything that they have done, it shows exactly what Apostle Paul said. And so what is his instruction to us? At the last, the last sentence, what does it say? Keep away. Keep away from such people. Keep away from them. Why? Because Apostle Paul said that. And so that's what we need to do. Okay? And does it mean we're not going to answer questions? Are we not going to answer questions concerning our faith? We are. But it depends on the question. Why? In the book of 2 Timothy 2, 23-25, but keep away from foolish and ignorant arguments. You know that they end up in quarrels. As the Lord's servant, you must not quarrel. You must be kind toward all, a good and patient teacher who is gentle as you correct your opponents. For it may be that God will give them the opportunity to repent and come to know the truth. Are we going to stop answering questions to, from people who want to ask us questions about our faith? No, we want them to ask questions. That's why we have the email, right? We have, you can PM me if you want. If you have a question, we'll discuss it here during the BHP. Whatever question you may have concerning our faith, maybe about the name Yahuwah or the name Yahusha, we will answer your questions. We've answered all the questions about the name, haven't we? Did we answer the name satisfactorily? Yeah. Yes, we've answered all the questions about the name of God, the name of Yahusha. We will continue to answer those questions. However, what are questions we're not going to entertain? Foolish and ignorant arguments. Why? That will only lead to quarrel. We don't want that. This is why if it is a question seeking the truth, then we will definitely answer those questions. But if it's not a question in the, for the purpose of seeking the truth, but only for the purpose of causing quarrels and arguments, forget it. Apostle Paul says, do not even go there. And what is also the advice of the Holy Scriptures concerning our use today, even when it comes to fellowship with individuals and even Facebook? Let's read book of Psalms 1.1. Blessed is the person who does not follow the advice of wicked people, take the path of sinners, or join the company of mockers. So if you have a Facebook friend who's a mocker, they mock, for example, the name of Yahuwah. Why will you remain a friend? Can you imagine you go, they share a post, and the post is mocking the name. They create a video mocking the name. They make, how many videos did they make? Eight? It's five videos? And they mock the name, and you click it and watch it? And so you're giving them a platform to mock the name. Just unfriend them, right? I mean, if they're going to curse the name of Yahuwah. Unfriend them. Why will you let them blaspheme? If they quote Fred Flintstone in order to mock the name, why would you still be their friends? Right? This is why, as people of God, the Bible says, if you want to be blessed, do not join the company of mockers. Unfriend them. Is that a biblical command? Yes. It did not come from me. The Bible says, do not join the company of mockers. Unfriend them. And so as people of God, brethren, when people mock us, when people insult us, 
because there's a difference between insulting and mocking and asking questions, right? There's a big difference, and you can tell. You already know. But if they insult us as people of God, this is what we should practice. Psalms 37, 46. Take delight in Yahuwah, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to Yahuwah. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Take delight in God. Commit everything to him, and he will take care of the rest. Brethren, let's focus on God. Let's not focus on people who hate and mock, right? Change your focus. Focus on the good things. Focus on the name of God. Focus on the work of God. Focus on God himself. Delight in him, and everything will fall into place. Okay? That is our lesson for today. Let us all stand, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes. Gracious God, Yahuwah, yes. thank you so much for your guidance and leadership. Yes. We have learned so much about you. Yes. We know that you truly, truly want your name proclaimed. Yes. This was evident long ago. Yes. This is also evident today. And so we will proclaim your name yes. because it is your will. We will follow your teachings yes. and do our best to represent your will. Father, please remember us because we're but human beings. Help us to change our hearts. Yes. Transform us from deep within. Yes. And help us, Father, to be like you, to be like your son. Amen. Lord Yahusha, help us to live our life according to your desires. Help us to be one with you. And help us to defend the faith with gentleness. To do so motivated by love. That we can always be like you at all times. Amen. Father, please bless your people. Those who are being persecuted and oppressed, may you send your spirit upon us all to strengthen our faith. Thank you so much, O oh God, for your blessings. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Amen.